how many of you saw the eclipse here this uh, coming week, this last Monday? So beautiful. Uh, I was disappointed not to see a total eclipse at 98%. We had to be satisfied for it. But how is it that a total eclipse occurs with such precision that the moon perfectly blots out the sun but allows a corona of light emanating from the rim of the sun in a total eclipse? NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, explains it this way. Solar eclipses occur when the moon blocks out any part of the sun. Total solar eclipses, however, are only possible on Earth because of a cosmic quirk of geometry. Did you know that that's why we have total eclipses? A cosmic quirk of geometry. No, God Almighty created it, and it's such precision. And NASA goes on to say, the sun's diameter is 400 times wider than the moon's, but it is also 400 times farther away. The result is that the sun and the moon appear to be the same size from our perspective. When they line up just right, the moon can obscure the sun's entire surface creating a total solar eclipse. You know, it's just one of those wonderful things. The, the heavens declare God's glory, and that's one of them. One other uh, astronomy organization commented, quoting the NASA uh, information, the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon and 400 times farther away, making a perfect solar eclipse, a chance so small it could be unique in the universe. So there are so many obvious creative proofs of God of being the creator, the lawgiver. And, of course, we are thankful because he is creating something even greater, the greatest masterpiece of creation. And that's the royal family, and we are part of that royal family. We have a great high calling to be the servants of Christ. In spite of the world conflicts and the troubles we face, God expects us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, has given us a way to witness to the world that we are his children, God's children, and we are the ambassadors for Christ. One of the ways we shine as a light is how we honor our parents, but how do we honor our parents? Well, by keeping the fifth commandment. We had a sermon on that July 8th, honor your parents always. We honor our parents by following Christ's example. And Christ honored his father. One of the most encouraging comments from a father to his children is the one that God the Father gave to his son, Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 3 and verse 16. Actually, Mr. Wakefield referred to this at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3 and uh, verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. He was immersed totally in the Jordan. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. That was the witnesses that we read about in 1 John 5, 7 and 1 John 5, 8. 
And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What an awesome encouragement that would be. I, you know, my father and mother um, didn't give me too much positive uh, reinforcement and encouragement, but <laughs> I remember years later after when I graduated from Ambassador College, of course, they, they didn't want me to go to Ambassador College because I already had five and a half years of college before that. But anyway, uh, they came out uh, uh, later and uh, for my graduation. And I just remember one good thing my father said about my life. He said, well, at least Dick used to send us postcards from Pasadena to Connecticut. So that was a wonderful encouragement for my father. Not so much as great as saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, but I mean, it's a son you just want any kind of encouragement you can get from your parents. And God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How many of us would rejoice if our parents said the same thing? And hopefully you have. You told your children that you're pleased with them. You're proud in the right way of their attitude, of their successes. And you love them. But wouldn't it be good to hear from God the Father that he said that to us individually as well? But how do we do those things that are pleasing in God's sight? Is there anything we're doing that is displeasing to God? So let's ask ourselves, is there anything I need to change in my life to please God? What am I doing that might displease God. Let's turn to 1 John, the third chapter, 1 John 3. It's extremely important because our whole purpose in life, our mission and our existence depends on God. The site title sermon, the sermon title is, Are You Pleasing God? Of course, you might uh, add another subtitle to that, Are You Pleasing to God? How do we please God? 1 John 3 and verse 22 gives us uh, an encouraging scripture about answered prayer. And I know most of you have had prayers answered and it's so encouraging to you when we know that God is listening to us. 1 John 3, 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. How? Because... We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What are you doing that is pleasing in God's sight? Well, obviously you must be doing something pleasing in God's sight because you got answered prayer. And while we're on that subject of answered prayer, let's look at 1 John 5 and verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. Well, that's another subject, and that would probably be the topic of my next sermon on are you willing to do God's will. But we need to do those things that are pleasing in his sight and keep his commandments. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And we're waiting for his will to be done. It may take time. He may say, yes, I'll answer you immediately. He may say, well, we'll wait on uh, your 
circumstances and see if there's any change in your behavior. Or he might say, no, it's not good for you to have this particular request fulfilled the way you want it to fulfill. John 15 and 7, I won't turn there, but I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jesus said, you know, in John 15, that's the vine. He's the vine and we're the branches. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you would desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So we please God by bearing much fruit. We please God by being his children and having a close relationship with God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's look at a couple examples of someone who pleased God. We already saw that God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Turn to 1 Kings, the third chapter. 1 Kings, the third chapter. And uh, here we find King Solomon. And uh, God gave it an opportunity to ask whatever he wanted that God would fulfill that. That was an open blank check, an open promise. Whatever you ask, Solomon, I'll give you. And what did Solomon ask? First Kings, uh, third chapter, starting with verse 5. First Kings 3, uh, verse 5. At Gibeon, the eternal appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O eternal my God, You have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, what did Solomon ask? He could have asked for riches, for power, for military power. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge. We had a sermon, Judges in Training. We're not only called to be kings and priests, but called to be judges. And he asked wisdom to judge, understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. Our society today, our world today, doesn't even care to discern between good and evil, but we must be sharp and know the difference. And, of course, the way we know the difference is by the standards that God gives us in his holy word, the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, so we know how to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Notice verse 10. The speech pleased the eternal that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor asked Riches for yourself, or have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, 
so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Though the speech pleased the eternal, Solomon asked for the ability to fulfill his God-given responsibilities. I hope you pray about God giving you the ability to fulfill your responsibilities as well. As a son and a daughter of the Almighty, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.18. And we're all bondservants of Christ, says Ephesians 6 and verse 6. And we are the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, Revelation 19, verse 7. So we need to ask God for the ability to fulfill the responsibilities he's given us. God was pleased with what Solomon asked. Turn to another one, uh, another example here in Acts 13. Acts 13. King David was a man who made many mistakes. He was very open-hearted in his prayers. He would complain to God and say, Well, how long is it going to be, O God? You know, you're going to just let me die. We need to let me live so I can continue to praise you. He was very, very open-hearted. But he repented. And he wanted God's laws to be written on his heart and on his mind. And so Acts 13, verse 22 we have this statement that you well know about David. And when he had removed him, that is, talking about Saul, he raised up for them King David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So King David was one who pleased God. He was one who will do all God's will. And we pray, I hope you pray that, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life to be a faithful and profitable bond servant. As we read in John 15, that that we honor God by bearing much fruit. Well, there's others who did not honor God. And we just read here back in verse 21, afterward, talking the history of Israel and the time of Samuel the prophet, Acts 13, 21, and after they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. And when he had removed him, so there was someone who displeased God. We'll take a look at that. Um, well, I won't turn there, but uh, first uh, Samuel the 13, <clears throat> Samuel told him, you have done foolishly. Remember, he was, didn't wait for Samuel to conduct the sacrifices. He presumptuously went ahead and conducted the sacrifice himself. So God said through the prophet, uh, Samuel, you have done foolishly to Saul. Last week we had a sermon by 
Mr. Weston, on the sins of racism, intolerance, and anarchy. And, of course, we need to take the warnings when we see the examples of the Bible of those things that have displeased God and what our society is doing today to displease God. We need to take warning and make sure that we learn from those examples. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter, of course, gives us the example of Israel. And they were not a good example for us to follow. So that's what he says there in First Corinthians 10. And uh, verse 6, after this whole section on uh, their coming through the red, through the sea. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, the world puts all kinds of temptations in front of us all the time through all the media, through, again, uh, television, through the Internet, and... Uh, through our iPads and iPhones. And do not become idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did in one day. 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Nor complain as some of them who uh, also complained and were destroyed of the destroyer. So God was not well pleased with them. And we need to make sure that we don't follow in their example of turning away from God and giving in to temptations. Second Timothy, the third chapter, you know the prophecies of the terrible times that uh, come in this end time. Second Timothy uh, the third chapter. Know this, that t- perilous times will come in the last days, <clears throat> for men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, <clears throat> unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased, well pleased. He wants us to have pleasure, but what kind of pleasure? Not worldly pleasure as opposed to lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying his power from such people turn away. There are true pleasures in life that God gives us, but there's the works of the flesh. You know, I won't turn there. You know, Galatians 5, verse 19, of all the fruits of the flesh, the works of the flesh. But there are true, true pleasures. <clears throat> well, let's turn back there, Psalm 16, verse 11. And to know the difference between worldly pleasures and the pleasures that God gives us. Psalm 16, verse 11. King David was looking forward to that time. Psalm 16. You will show me the path of life. Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence 
is fullness of joy. What makes you happy? What do you rejoice in? In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures that are much more intense, fulfilling, satisfying, and exciting than any of the physical pleasures we can uh, fulfill or experience. While we're in this section, let's turn to Proverbs 19.23. Proverbs 19.23. God wants us to enjoy life. And he wants us to enjoy pleasures, godly pleasures. So many people, even some of the newspapers bringing out later a a trend in teenagers' depression. Uh, Across the nation, this is becoming a trend. Even teenagers are becoming depressed. Well, God wants our teenagers to have joy and to have happiness. Here in uh, Proverbs 19, verse 23, The fear of the eternal leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. So having that close relationship with God the Father and with Christ, the fear of the eternal, that awe, that respect, that reality of who and what God is, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, all the things that are seen and unseen. The fear of the eternal leads to life, and he that has it will abide in satisfaction, not in frustration, not in pain and suffering, not in depression or in paranoia or any other psychological ills. He will abide satisfied. He will not be visited by evil. Take another one, a look at another one of those promises of satisfaction in Proverbs 2 and verse 22. God wants us to enjoy life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We have so much to be thankful for. Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessing of the eternal makes one rich. Now, we're not all rich in terms of monetary possessions. It makes us rich in spiritual blessings. And he adds no sorrow to it. So the kind of pleasures that God gives us, if we're recapturing true values in sports and in literature and intellectual pursuits and business and science, art, literature, there's no sorrow added to it if it's in harmony with God's way of life and the way he does things. That's a wonderful promise. He adds no sorrow to it. But in all these pleasures that God gives us, we need to exercise faith. We've emphasized that time and time again, but let's turn to Revelation, I mean, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We've read this in recent sermons. Revelation, the Hebrews, 11th chapter. Now notice what pleases God and what does not please God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. The title of the sermon today is, Are You Pleasing to God or Are You Pleasing God? How can you please God? Obviously, the opposite is to build faith. In fact, I think most of you have the sevenfold commission of the 
Living Church of God, written by uh, Dr. Meredith. And uh, the seventh of the Sevenfold Commission is build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. That's what's going to please God and does please God. And we do have a degree of radiant faith within the Charlotte congregation. And that is pleasing to God. But he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's a perseverance. That's the Philadelphian perseverance. That's perseverance in prayer. We've had sermons on those topics as well. Diligently seek him. Well, it's something that's a part of your character, part of your routine, a part of what you do every day and night. It's predictable. It was an old song years ago, uh, call me unpredictable. And, you know, teenagers uh, like to say, oh, he's kooky. You know, you never know what he's going to do. He's a lot of fun. Oh, God wants you to have predictable character. Does he know tomorrow morning that you're going to be up uh, from your bed sometime in the morning to be on your knees and pray for at least 10 or 15 minutes, if not more, or pray before you go to bed? Are you unpredictable or are you predictable? Diligently seek him. Well, I hope that most of us are doing that. We are developing the character of God to do just that. Notice in the previous chapter, a warning again that we must not draw back. We have to be consistent, dedicated, committed. And we make that commitment and renew that commitment every Passover. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. Well, let's start off with verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yes, we must persevere. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we must again exercise faith. And exercising faith pleases God. And he gives an example here in the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 5, of someone who exercised faith and by exercising faith, please God. Who was that? Enoch. Verse 5, Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, I hope all of us would want that approbation at the end of our lives that we have lived a life that pleased God. So it's the all-important key of attitude, the attitude of faith, of perseverance, of commitment. We want to endure to the end, and we want to be faithful. But notice here in Romans, the fifth chapter, eighth chapter, turn to Romans 8, again, how we please God and how we displease God. Romans, the eighth chapter, and verse 5. Romans 8, and we'll start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and that's what, the way the world is going. 
But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, we are flesh. And, of course, even God says in the marriage ceremony, we have a marriage, two weddings tomorrow, one in Statesville and one in Myrtle Beach, the two shall be one flesh. So God wants us to enjoy the marital relationships. But he's talking about here the lust of the flesh. Remember the warning in 1 John 2.15 that the ways of the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They're not of God. So we need to make sure that we are spiritually minded. We are flesh. We feel pain. We feel enjoyment and satisfaction. But he says here in uh, Romans 8 and verse 5, But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace, to be spiritually minded. And that's a discipline. It means that we need to ask God daily to renew His Spirit in our minds, and that we're cleansing our minds with uh, God's Word. As I mentioned to you sometime before about the quotable quotes in one of the my famous uh, favorite quote, quotable quotes was from Dr. Meredith when he gave a form in uh, Ambassador College of Big Sandy back in the 70s. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. That's how you can be spiritually minded. And I, I know that some of us, at love, some of the ministry, I had this national King James Bible for 25 years, and I had all my my uh, inspired marginal notes in it. And then we changed over to the new King James Bible. It had to start all over again, and I know some of our ministers are still reluctant to give up their well-marked Bibles and start a new one. Well, I've started one that's a new King James Bible, and this is becoming... More and more, my friend, I mark it up. I've got, you know, I maybe have some highlights here and a highlight in red and highlight in yellow. And and the old King James Bible, I could just, I know whereabouts. It said the right, top right side of the page there. I know exactly where that scripture is. But now you start a new Bible, you have to have a new pattern and a new memory. But this Bible is my friend. It's the Word of God, and I hope that all of you are making the Bible your friend, that you know where it is, and you're marking it up because it comes at that um, reinforcement, that uh, biofeedback uh, response, that you know where things are, and it becomes a part of you because you are writing it down, and you're seeing it, and you're speaking it, and you're talking about it and meditating on it. You're saturating your mind with the Word of God says in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Romans 8, 7, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither nor indeed can be. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, we're all in the flesh, aren't we? Well, he's speaking spiritually. And he clarifies that in verse 9. You, but you are not in the flesh spiritually speaking, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, that is fleshly-minded, 
You've got to be spiritually minded. We still experience physical pleasure. We still still experience physical pain. But we need to be spiritually minded and, of course, have that humility, which is one pleasing in God's sight. We had the uh, sermon by Dr. Scott Winnale two weeks ago on God's people must fast. And he demonstrated, of course, that we humble ourselves through fasting. You know Isaiah 66 and verse 2. But on this one will I look, on him who is a poor and of contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. God looks upon those. That is, he's concerned. He's going to care for you. He's going to watch over you continually. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. I won't turn there, but uh, one of my first studies into fasting was about King Ahab. And, you know, he was the most wicked king in Israel. And uh, God said, said uh, you know, Elijah told him that he was going to die. And, of course, uh, his wife Jezebel was going to be eaten by the dogs. And how did Ahab respond when he was corrected by Elisha, I won't turn there, but 1 Kings 21, verse 28. And the word of the Eternal came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab humbles himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his sons will I bring the calamity on his house. Even though Elijah has already pronounced Punishment on Ahab, Ahab humbled himself and God relented of the punishment that he was going to bring upon Ahab by humbling himself. So God looks on his people. He cares for them. On this one will I look to him as is poor of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. So attitude is all important in the way we please God or displease God. What's one of the other major attitudes we must have, too? And we rehearse this every time before we prepare for Passover each year, but it's the attitude of repentance. It's my turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. We need to make sure that we are teachable, that we can take correction, as King David did. When he's corrected by Nathan the prophet, what did he say? I have sinned. He didn't justify himself. He realized that he was a sinner. Luke, the 15th chapter, gives us three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Well, we'll just look at one of them. Luke 15, verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So how are you going to please God? There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And uh, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And, of course, the response was Psalm 51. 
when he said in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. So that attitude of repentance is one way that you will please God. Turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and see another way God is well pleased by us. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, you find another way we can please God. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Therefore, by him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So again, how consistent are you and predictable are you in giving thanks to God? Do you give thanks to God every day? Or some days you don't give thanks to God. The sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So if you're sharing, you're giving, God is well pleased. Of course, the sharing and uh, what all depends what you're sharing. If you're sharing negative things on social media, tempting others on social media, God is not well pleased with that. But sharing those things that are good and serving to do good, not do evil or tempting others, but to do good and to share with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We need to seek God's will and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Well, let's turn to Matthew 12 along the attitudes that please God or repentance, attitude of giving and sharing. I've already mentioned it before, but the attitude of seeking God's will. To uh, Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12. Are you doing God's will? Are you seeking God's will? Matthew 12, verse, uh, let's say we'll start in verse 47. And this is all has to do with a relationship with God. The first commandment is that you shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength, all those four elements in Mark, the 12th chapter. Our relationship with God the Father, with Christ, is prime. That's why we're living. That's why he created us, to be a part of his royal family forever. And so here in uh, Matthew, oh, almost lost it here. Matthew 12, starting with verse 46. While Jesus was talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. This is his physical relations. 
Then one of them said, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Matthew 12, verse 48. But he answered and said to the one who had told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Verse 49. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Wow. That's his disciples. That's human beings like us. That you are his mother and sisters and brothers. Who is that? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. We have called to an intimate and awesome relationship with God the Father and with Christ. We have a wonderful attitude of repentance, of faith, of doing the Father's will. But it has to be, of course, one of obedience. And we first obey God. And we don't want to be men-pleasers because that's the opposite of what God wants. Turn to Colossians, the third chapter, Colossians 3. So there's a characteristic of some people that just want to get along and they'll compromise true values just so they'll get along with their friends or their family or maybe the boss. And they're not sticking to true values that God wants us to live by. Colossians 3 and verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. No, you please God before you please man. And not with eye service, but in sincerity of heart, you fear God and you serve your physical corporation, your boss, your employer, your family, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward and inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So we are to obey God rather than man, as Peter said to the Sanhedrin in Acts 5.29. So we need that attitude of obedience to please God, not to please men. And when there's a conflict, And uh, we have to decide, are we going to compromise or are we going to stand up for what's right and good? And most of you have gone through those tests and those trials, whether you've lost jobs or had to stand up in school, as some of our young people have done, and not compromised, but stood up for what was right and true and good. Colossians 1 and verse 10. Colossians 1, breaking into the middle of thought, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we want to be fully pleasing him, and we do that, of course, by obeying him. And children please their parents by obeying him in the Lord. Let's take a look at what pleases God more of the elements that please God. We've already seen quite of the significant and vital elements that please God in our attitude and fearing God and obeying God and repenting and serving with the attitude of thanksgiving. Turn to Proverbs. Take a look at a few 
Proverbs that tell us what pleased God. Proverbs 3 and uh, verse 11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father the son in whom he delights. So actually you'll read that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. God delights in those who accept his correction. As a father is going to delight in his son because he accepts that correction. He makes the changes he needs to. So God not only has pleasure as a key word, he's well pleased, but he also delights in his children. What is delight? Look up the definition of delight. It means great pleasure. So God has great pleasure in his children who obey him. Proverbs 11 and verse 1. What else pleases God and what does he delight in? Proverbs 11 verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the eternal, but a just weight is his delight. Why would he say that? Because God wants honesty. He wants integrity. He doesn't want us to defraud others or steal from others. He wants just weights, accurate business concerns and relationships and transactions. But his delight is in a just weight. Proverbs 11 and verse 1. Proverbs 11 and verse 20. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the eternal. There are plenty of people with perverse hearts, and God says they're an abomination. But the blameless in their ways are his delight. Now, how are you blameless? We all make mistakes. We all sin. But if we have a repentant attitude and we're confessing our sins, as it says in 1 John 1 and verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and we are blameless because we're reconciled to God, because we're repentant, and we're going to bring forth the fruits of repentance. The blameless in their ways are His delight. God gives great pleasure in individuals and His children who are blameless. Proverbs 12. And verse 22, again we have that contrast. Proverbs often contrasts the good and the evil. Proverbs 12 and verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the eternal. But those who deal truthfully are his delight. Do you always speak the truth? Uh, He tells us in is it uh, Ephesians 4.15? But speaking the truth in love, we may, we may grow up into him in all things. So we need to be honest. And, of course, even the Psalm 15, who is going to abide in his tabernacle? Those who swear to their own hurt. That is, you've made a promise and something's gone wrong and it's going to cost you, you still keep your word. And that's the kind of individual God delights in, who deal truthfully 
are his delight. Oh, um, back up to uh, Proverbs 15 and, well, Proverbs, go ahead, Proverbs 15 and verse 8. Proverbs 15. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the eternal, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. It's amazing how many things God takes pleasure in, in what we're doing or, of course, what we're not doing, avoiding sin and avoiding those things that displease God. He takes great pleasure in those who pray to him in truth and spirit and in truth. We thank God for that. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. He tells us in Revelation 8 and verse 3, you know, I won't turn there. I think you're familiar with it. Then another angel having a golden censer came out and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Revelation 8 verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Well, God wants us to pray for one another, as he tells us to do in James, the fifth chapter. And we were asked to pray. The Charlotte congregation was asked to pray for the fires there in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. They were headed towards uh, the home of Mr. and Mrs. Barry Walker, our elder in that area. And the winds changed and blew the fire away in the opposite direction. Our prayers make a difference. And right now, of course, Hurricane Harvey is threatening and bombarding Texas with uh, flooding, 20 inches of rain. Some said up to uh, 36 inches of rain. And uh, some of our members may have their homes flooded along the Brazos River. Uh, Mr. Stafford has had to cancel services in the area. Uh, still trying to connect by the Internet with our brethren. So keep praying for our brethren in those affected areas in, in Texas where there is uh, great flooding. And, of course, the weather forecaster is saying that the conditions have kept Hurricane Harvey right over Texas so it won't move and it continues to cause a great deal of flooding in Texas. So pray for our brethren that are there. But our prayers come up before God's throne is incense. And God says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. And you think about Anna the prophetess. You know, there in Luke 2, when Jesus was brought up to the temple for the dedication. And what did it say about Anna the prophetess? This was a woman, was a widow about 84 years old, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. So God commended her. That was her way of serving. We, we don't all serve the way Anna the prophetess did, but she was very aged and a widow, and she served the God that way. We all have different gifts of service. Some people are have the gift of caregiving. They will spend their lives day and night serving maybe a relative. I know my sister served my mother who had a stroke for 10 years before she died. And my brother-in-law, even though he was Catholic, said of my sister, 
Uh, she was a Mother Teresa. That was his idea, compliment of saying she served my mother day and night for those ten years. Some people have that gift of caregiving. I, others don't. They have gifts, as Anna the prophets did, of prayers and fasting day and night. Others serve physically. They serve our widows and others and those in need with maybe plumbing or uh, carpentry or some other kind of service. But we all need to serve in some way or another and know what our gifts are, that we can serve God with obedience and to love one another, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the attitude, again, is serving God with a cheerful attitude. I can't confirm it, but uh, when I was a student at Ambassador College back in 1962 to 1965, I remember that it was said that Mrs. Loma Armstrong's favorite scripture was Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, that's quite a challenge. Rejoice in the Lord always? That's what it says. But we need to serve God with cheerfulness and gladness of heart. You might turn to Psalm 100. We're here in Proverbs, just back a few pages. I know my mother had to teach me as a as a young boy to uh, serve with gladness. I would say, oh, Mom. She said, well, Richard, you smile and say, yes, Mom. You know, what she was saying, serve, serve the family with cheerfulness and gladness of heart. Not complaining about all things, you know, do all things without murmurings and complainings. So that's, uh, that's Philippians 2.14. Anyway, I'll check that later. But Psalm 100, make a joyful shout to the eternal, all you lands. Serve the eternal with gladness. You know, there are a lot of things we do that are routine or chores. And I think, oh, I have to go through this. Do this chore again. Well, do it with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. And there's a really strong warning in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. You want to turn back there and see that? Deuteronomy 28, verse 45, that our attitudes are so important before God. Deuteronomy 28, and he's warning about the captivity to come. He talks about the uh, aliens among you shall rise up higher, Deuteronomy 28, verse 43. Verse 44, he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. We are the world's greatest debtor nation. We were at one time the world's greatest creditor nation, but now we are the world's greatest debtor nation. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue over and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and statutes which I command you. And they shall be upon you a, for a sign, a wonder, and your descendants forever. Verse 47. Because you did not serve the eternal your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Because you did not serve the eternal your God with joy and gladness of heart 
for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. So God wants us to have that delight in serving him. So he delights in us. The prayer of the faithful he delights in. He delights in us. Do we delight in anything ourselves? Do we take pleasure, great pleasure in anything that God gives us to do? Well, let's take a look at a couple of of those things that God gives us the privilege of delighting in. We need to delight in some things that he gives us. Turn to Psalm 1. You know what we sing that hymn, so you know what the answer to the question is already, what we are to delight in, take great pleasure in doing. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Very colorful. But his delight, what is your delight in? What great do you take great pleasure in? But his delight is in the law of the eternal, and in his law he meditates day and night. Do you take great pleasure in meditating on God's way of life and know that you've stepped out in faith, you've done something that God tells you to do, you prayed about it, and you are blessed. You delight in God's promises, and in his law, and his way of life. Turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Here is an attitude that is just so pure, so beautiful, one that all of us should have. Psalm 40, starting in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. And I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of a book. It is written of me. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I find it great pleasure to do your will, to walk in your way of life, to recapture the true values of business, of science, of agriculture, of recreation, of family life. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. That's the new covenant. God is writing his laws on our hearts and minds if we want him to. What else do we delight in? Meditate in God's law. We delight in his law and his way of life. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. The world is seeking pleasure. What kind of pleasure did God give us? He gives us great pleasure in delighting to do his will. Isaiah 58, verse 13. Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the word, those of us who have learned the way of God over these many years and decades for some of us. We know that the end of the work week, when Friday sunset comes, it's a change to relax, 
to cast our burdens upon the Lord and to have peace. We call the Sabbath a delight. Isaiah 58, here in uh, verse 13. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the eternal, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the eternal. So not only do you delight in the Sabbath day, you delight yourself in the relationship you have with your Father in heaven and with your brother. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. It says in Hebrews 2, Christ calls us brethren. So we delight in our Savior and our brother, Jesus Christ. And I will cause you to rise upon the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the eternal has spoken. When I was working for the Southeastern Virginia Regional Planning Commission, and uh, I had no church to attend back then in 1961-62, I kept the Sabbath and uh, listened to Mr. Armstrong on the radio. as the Radio Church of God those days. And uh, I was keeping the Sabbath. I said, well, Father in heaven, I... I call the Sabbath delight, and you promised that I would ride upon the high places of the earth. I claim that promise. Well, <laughs> I felt that one way that was uh, fulfilled, that promise was fulfilled. You know, Garland Wood, who was the director of the Regional Planning Commission, and I went up to the high places of the earth, Washington, D.C., and we were planning highways and transportation systems for southeastern Virginia region, and we went and talked to, actually he was a, he was a general or, or colonel uh, who was responsible for what was then called the interstate the defense network. The interstate highway system was originally a defense network uh, under President Eisenhower years ago. And so anyway, I felt that I went to the high places of the earth. That was uh, uh, right after I claimed that promise. So we delight. Not only in the Sabbath, we delight in the eternal in his way of life. So God blesses us in all those way of life. And, of course, you know my favorite promise in the Bible, or one of my favorite promises in the Bible, Psalm 37.4. You might turn back there, Psalm 37.4, which I've claimed many times, and uh, rejoice in that promise. Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself also in the eternal, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So some of you may be new, so the brethren here have heard it from me many times, but when I prayed that in 1967 to go to Jerusalem, it was 17 years before God gave me the desires of my heart to visit Jerusalem. And since that time, I visited Jerusalem and Israel uh, four times. But I claim that promise. Delight yourself also in the eternal, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Of course, they must be godly desires and not ungodly desires. We know Philippians 4.19, that he promises to give us our every need. And some ministers say, well, well, he doesn't promise to you to give you our every desires. No, he doesn't, but he does give this promise above our needs. 
Verse 3, trust in the eternal to do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the eternal, and he will give give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the eternal. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What awesome promises God gives us as we delight in his way of life. We appreciate his awesome promises. We appreciate his way of life. We appreciate the very purpose of life. And he gives us the revelation of that purpose through the annual festivals, the annual holy days. But do you appreciate God's way of life and the calling that you have? We look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles coming up because we know it pictures the millennial Sabbath when all the world, all the nations will be under the government of God, under the government of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and all of us who are faithful as kings, priests, and judges. And we also picture that in the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath also pictures the millennial rest of a thousand years as well. And so we meditate on our purpose in life. What is the purpose of life? Why were you born? I, uh, some of you know I read the comics uh, fairly regularly. And uh, Peanuts uh, is Charlie Brown, but one of the characters in the Peanuts comic strip is Snoopy the dog. And uh, this one particular comic strip, is Snoopy is lying on the roof of his doghouse, lying back, just resting. Next scene, he's resting again. Next scene, he's starting to get up from his nap And next scene, he yawns and then goes back lying down and says, born to sleep. So that's his purpose in life was born to sleep. Well, is that, hopefully some of you uh, don't, I I take naps regularly because of my aged uh, condition and health. And uh, I might mention that also, President Lyndon Johnson took naps when he was, I think he was in his 40s. I, uh, we visited the uh, Presidential Library of uh, Lyndon Johnson in Austin, Texas, and it had a uh, open book of his agenda and his schedule. And at, what, 3 o'clock or so, uh, President Lyndon Johnson had his nap. So I'm, I'm not ashamed to take naps, but you don't want, you're not born to sleep. There's another cartoon <clears throat> here showing uh, Snoopy again sleeping on the top of his doghouse and Charlie Brown is at the side with a little grin on his face and the caption says life has no remote get up and change it yourself you can't just click and have something happen you have to act in life you have to produce you have to apply the seven laws of success and be productive. But you know the purpose of life is to be born into God's family at the resurrection. Romans 8, <clears throat> verse 29. Romans 8, <clears throat> verse 29. What an awesome blessing <clears throat> that you and I have to understand why we were born. 
not born to sleep, but born to love, born to serve, born to care, to rejoice, to produce, and to bless. Called to be kings and priests in God's royal family. And here, Romans 8, 29, that awesome revelation of the process, the miraculous spiritual process in which we are engaged. Romans 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That means his character, his nature, his mind, his spirit. We are to be like him in every way. That's our purpose in life. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So again, as Mr. Armstrong explained, predestined isn't a previous decision about your spiritual outcome. It is a time of calling when you are called to, you're predestined when your calling uh, is to be a part of God's family. So we are thankful that we are to be conformed to the very image of God. And we know that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to be like him, like Jesus Christ, conformed to his image. And we are so many blessings if we please God. I won't turn there, but Proverbs 16:7. you might want to write that down. When a man's ways please the eternal... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's just one of the blessings of pleasing God. And we already saw that whenever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. We have answered prayer. That was 1 John 3, verse 22. Turn to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, 2 Timothy 2. How else... Do we please God? Well, we focus on the mission. And I've already shown you the sevenfold mission statement here. Of course, number one was preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ. God is pleased when we put our whole heart into his work. Just as Jesus said in Matthew, John 4:34, My meat, my food is to do the will of him, will him, him that sent me and to finish his work. Well, here in 2 Timothy 2, starting, uh, well, we might start with uh, verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So we please God by fulfilling the calling and the mission he's given us. And, of course, God takes pleasure in his people. He loves his children. We try to please him. He takes delight in us. We delight in doing his will. We delight in his commandments. He takes pleasure in those who have integrity and who are praying regularly. Let's see a couple places here in which God is pleased with us. Psalm 147. Psalm 147. 
take a look at a couple of scriptures here. We have a couple minutes left in uh, the sermon. This is very inspiring to me, Psalm 147. And I hope it is to you. We are God's people. We are the bride of Christ. We are his children. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Eternal. Psalm 147. Psalm 147 and verse 11. The Eternal takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. So again, it's that close relationship. If we have that love of God, that awe and reverence towards God, he takes pleasure in those who fear him. Now notice Psalm 149 and verse 4. The eternal takes pleasure in his people. We are God's people. If we strive to have a pure heart, be yielded to him, have a repentant attitude, respond to his commandments with cheerfulness and gladness of heart. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Verse 4. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. I don't know if you've ever sung aloud on your bed, but you might think about that after reading the scripture. But God takes pleasure in his people. And of course, God is love. And it says in John 3.16, and I hope all of you know that verse by heart, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love is constant. It's eternal. He is a faithful God. And for some of you who may be new, I hope that you will read the booklet of uh, Mr. Wesson, John 3.16. It's a very comprehensive booklet and even touches on the nature of God, about about the uh, fallacy of the Trinity, and goes through each of the eight sections of John 3.16, verse by verse. Very thorough, very inspiring. I hope that you will, will take advantage of it. God is creating a family and We are part of that family even now. We're sons and daughters of the Almighty. He says, as we read in Proverbs 11.20, that those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the eternal, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. So how can we please our Father in heaven? We've covered many different ways in the sermon today. When we please God, we're fulfilling the first great commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're living the way Christ did, that he pleased the Father. And we do that by maintaining an attitude of humility, willing to take correction. It said he delights in the Son who takes correction. He delights in those who are growing in faith, who give thanksgiving as a sacrifice or giving and sharing. Let's turn to uh, two more scriptures in closing. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, and verse 12. 
how can we do all this? I mean, we're physical human beings, but God has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it's not the fallacy that says once saved, always saved, and you are already saved. Well, once we're saved, we will always be saved when we're born into God's kingdom because we have been saved from our past sins. We are now being saved, as it tells us in Second Corinthians, and we shall be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. That's Matthew uh, 24, uh, verse 13. But here in Philippians 2, how can we be saved? Well, Christ is our living Savior, and it says we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5 and verse 10. But here Philippians 12 gives us instruction and an encouraging promise. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can you do that? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? When you realize that you're in an earthquake, as we experienced in California several times, you're in trembling. You have in a great awe of who and what God is, and you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But how do you do that? Verse 13 gives you the encouraging answer. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You have your part in the salvation process. But God gives this awesome promise that he, God the Father, and Christ will work in you, both to give you the will to do what is right, to delight in the ways of God, to do his pleasure. He will work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Claim that promise and thank God that you are his children. One more scripture, Hebrews the thirteenth chapter. Hebrews thirteen. God's love, love is all encompassing. Hebrews thirteen and verse twenty. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. We just read that in Philippians 2.13, Philippians 2.12. Complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God is giving us the benefit and the way, the means and the power and the spirit to work in us what is pleasing in his sight. May we all, brethren, do those things that delight God and that we delight in him and in his way of life. Let's love God and our neighbors. Let's serve God with gladness and cheerfulness of heart for the abundance of all things. Let's delight ourselves in him. And he will give us the desires of our heart. 
delight in his Sabbath, his way of life, and in the mission he's given us. Let's strive to please God in all that we do and think and say. Thank God that he takes pleasure in his people, as we read in Psalm 149 and verse 4. So, brethren, let's delight in the ways of God. And let's pray that God can say to us, all of his children, these are my sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased.